Warmer, sunnier days are finally arriving. As outside is calling, Factor is here to make sure that however busy you get, your meals are taken care of, giving you all the energy and time to enjoy that weather. Factor's fresh, never frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So, no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great tasting meals. Treat yourself to restaurant quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and, oh yes, blackened salmon. Don't mind if I do. Make today the day you kickstart a new healthy routine and give yourself time to focus on what makes you happy. What are you waiting for? Head to factormeals.com slash danjones50 and use code danjones50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code danjones50 at factormeals.com slash danjones50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Just a warning before we start that this episode contains descriptions of violence and sexual content that may not be suitable for all listeners. In fact, in terms of medieval brutality, this episode has some of the nastiest stuff yet. But allow me to start with the calm before the storm. In the very last days of 1182, a grand procession of German nobles and their servants passes through the stunning city of Caen in Normandy. The frozen streets are treacherous, so the horses and footmen move carefully as wagons skid behind them. The weather doesn't dampen the mood of the group, who chatter in very posh-sounding German. These sounds bounce and echo off the walls of the city's impressive churches as the procession moves towards the grandest building of them all, the castle. Inside that castle is Henry II. He's only a few months away from his 50th birthday, getting pretty old for the time, but Henry's still the unquestioned boss of the Plantagenet dynasty and the most powerful person in all of Western Europe. The couple at the head of the German procession are the Duke and Duchess of Saxony. Today, they're going to be honored guests at his court and they're looking forward to it because old Henry is family, and close family at that. The Duchess is Matilda, the eldest daughter of Henry and Eleanor of Aquitaine. If you remember, she was sent off to Germany to marry the Duke back in 1168, when she was only 12 years old. Since then, she's matured into an elegant young noblewoman. The German Duke tells anyone who will listen how proud he is to be married to a real-life princess. And Matilda turns heads wherever she goes. One troubadour who sees her in 1182 writes some pretty pervy stuff about how her breasts glow brighter than the moon. There's a lot of family news to share and catch up on. There's a fair bit from Matilda's side. She's got four kids, the marriage is going okay, they're planning a pilgrimage to Spain, they have been exiled momentarily by the German emperor, but it'll probably work itself out. That's actually a very interesting side story, and we'll be talking more about it in this week's subscriber episode. But surprise, surprise, there's a lot more family gossip on the Plantagenet side. Just the classics like, your sisters have grown up and got married, your little brother John is getting so big now. 
Oh, and also, your dad has accidentally murdered an archbishop, tried to conquer Ireland, gone to war with mum and your brothers, and locked mum in prison? Sorry. And here's the thing with the Plantagenets. Just when you think you've got your head around the insanity, there's another load of it coming down the line. At Henry's court, Matilda gets to see exactly what she's been missing while she's been away. The castle at Caen is rammed. Literally every baron in Normandy has been summoned to celebrate Christmas and New Year here. But even as old Henry keeps the great and good of northern France occupied with feasting and celebrating, behind the scenes there are some major family rows blowing up. They centre on Matilda's eldest brothers, young Henry, Richard and Geoffrey. Young Henry is moaning, as usual, that although he's been crowned co-king and receives a truly astronomical amount of money every month to go partying and tournamenting with, he doesn't have any land to rule. Old Henry tries to mollify the young king, although, as usual, not through offering any actual land or power. Instead, he says that, if it'll make him feel better, his brothers Richard and Geoffrey can perform homage to him. That's a public ceremony recognising that he's the eldest son and therefore the golden boy of the family. Geoffrey's fine with that, but Richard won't have it. He thinks that if he bows and scrapes to young Henry like that, then his brother will try and grab Aquitaine off him. When old Henry reads Richard the Riot Act, he backs down, but by then young Henry is sulking and won't accept Richard's homage because he said Richard built a castle on land that's his, plus everyone in Aquitaine thinks Richard is too harsh a ruler, and he thinks actually if they rebel against him they've got a point, and, 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 and... You get the idea. It's sibling squabbling and Dad doing his best to sort them out. Except, of course, it's not just that. Because when these brothers argue, it doesn't just end in harsh words or even fisticuffs. It leads to war, sieges, the destruction of the land, the slaughter of thousands and a lot of eyes being removed. And when the dust settles, one of the brothers will lie dead. I'm Dan Jones, and from something else in Sony Music Entertainment, this is History. A dynasty to die for. Episode 16, Brothers at War. I've been writing about the escapades of the Plantagenet brothers for years, and even now I still find it hard to believe what they managed to get up to in the first six months of 1183. After the Christmas court in Caen, old Henry realises he has some serious problems brewing between his sons. So he summons Henry, Richard and Geoffrey to a family summit. There, he asks them all to kiss and make up and swear a pact of eternal peace. But at this point in the brothers' lives, it's clear that there's much more at stake than wounded pride and hurt feelings. We ended the last episode just at this moment, with young Henry being cleverly nudged by King Philip of France into supporting a new rebellion against Richard's rule in Aquitaine. There's no way Richard is going to make nice with Henry while his beloved land is on fire. In order for them to make any headway at this summit, 
the issues in Aquitaine have to be sorted out. Old Henry decides to send Geoffrey down there to see if he can mediate. The trouble is, Geoffrey's a pretty slippery character himself. One medieval writer who knew him called him a smooth talker, but at heart, a hypocrite in everything, a deceiver and a dissembler. And sure enough, instead of doing his job of peacemaking, the slippery Geoffrey goes and stirs the rebels up even more. He's hoping that if he can help young Henry pinch Aquitaine off Richard, he'll be rewarded with lands on the borders of his own patch, Brittany. As soon as Geoffrey's done fanning the flames, young Henry begs their father to let him go and sort out Geoffrey's mess. Which is mad, seeing as young Henry is the one who started this in the first place. But at this point, old Henry is at his wit's end, dealing with his son's shenanigans. So he just lets him go. And guess what? Young Henry makes things even worse. He doesn't just go into Aquitaine to make trouble. He takes with him a band of the most evil, ruthless mercenaries money can buy. They're called routiers, which is a fancy-sounding word for what we could more accurately call the scum of the earth. They're criminal outlaws who sell their swords to the highest bidder and don't care who they kill, rape or maim, so long as they get a good payday at the end of it. With these nice chaps helping him out, young Henry goes and starts attacking Richard's deputies who are trying to keep control of Aquitaine in his absence. And, understandably, when news reaches Richard at this now utterly failed peace summit, he flips his lid... He rages at his father for having been duped by his brothers, then storms off to sort the problem out himself, the only way he knows, with fire, fury and ultraviolence. Richard rides non-stop for nearly 48 hours with a force of loyal knights. He tracks down one of the bands of Routier and goes berserk. He kills their captain himself, while his knights put many more to the sword but they might be the lucky ones. Because Richard and his Avengers aren't done there. They take any survivors captive, drowning some of them in a nearby river and tearing the eyes out of about 80 more. Then, in his wild rage, Richard goes off looking for his brothers, swearing that if he catches any of their knights, he's gonna chop their heads off. This would be a terrible breach of the code of chivalry not to mention being quite unbrotherly. Somewhere in Richard's wake, old Henry is trying to catch up with his wayward sons. He must be shaking his head in a mixture of exasperation, bewilderment and horror. As he should, because there's much worse to come. When Henry III chose his royal advisers, he ended up with some very untrustworthy power grabbers, which led to poor management decisions, rebellions, and at least one person in prison. Why didn't he use Indeed? Well, Indeed wasn't around back then, but it is today. Indeed is the ultimate hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and matching technology that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
Use Indeed for scheduling, screening and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. When I was hiring, I didn't use Indeed either and the process was very slow and stressful, so I wish I had. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a £100 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Dynasty. Indeed.com slash Dynasty. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The world's full of people celebrating their successes, but if the Plantagenets have taught us anything, it's that failing is much more interesting. So that's why I'm certain you're going to love the podcast How to Fail. The very brilliant Elizabeth Day invites guests on to talk about three of their biggest failures and what they've taught them about life. It's a great way to hear a new side to people you may think you know. Guests include Bernie Sanders, Phoebe Waller-Bridge and Stanley Tucci. Give it a try. Find How to Fail wherever you get your podcasts. When old Henry arrives in Aquitaine to try and sort out the chaos caused by his three warring sons, he gets a nasty shock. And I mean a really nasty shock. He's heard that young Henry and Geoffrey are holed up in the city of Limoges, in a well-defended fort. So he goes to see them, with only a few knights behind him, intending to try and have a fatherly chat. Unfortunately, when he approaches the perimeter of their compound, some jittery guards on the walls don't realise who's coming, They let off a volley of arrows, and one of them slams straight into old Henry's chest. That could well have been the end of old Henry. But luckily, he's wearing the best armour money can buy. He's winded and absolutely livid, but he's alive. Old Henry gets the message and rides away to where Richard and his supporters are camped. Shortly afterwards, a very panicked young Henry shows up, pleading that this was all a big misunderstanding. But he doesn't hand over the culprits who shot the arrows. If he was anyone else, his head would be on a pike by now. But on some level, family is still family, so old Henry lets his son go, for now. But as young Henry heads off back to his HQ, there's a dark cloud over his head. He knows things have already gone way too far. Young Henry and Geoffrey start throwing up more defences around the castle in Limoges. Their allies, the rebel barons and Routier in Aquitaine, continue to attack Richard's fortresses and supporters. Seeing that continued family therapy sessions might not cut it this time, old Henry sends word to all his other lands that he needs an army. Pronto. By March the 1st, 1183, Old Henry and Richard are actively preparing to besiege Young Henry and Geoffrey. It's fair to say that the medieval manure has hit the fan. Now, if the last 15 episodes of this podcast have taught you anything, you'll probably be thinking that being besieged by Henry II and his son Richard doesn't sound like a great prospect. After all, they're by far the two most brilliant generals of their age. And to be fair to the young king, he realises that. He also realises that now old Henry has cut off his financial lifeline, he's not going to be able to pay his supporters. But he's in too deep to turn back. 
and his sly brother Geoffrey keeps nagging him, telling him that this isn't the war without love all over again. This time they're older and wiser, they can easily take control of Aquitaine. And once they do that, well, the Empire is their oyster. Plus, Geoffrey is becoming very popular with the local rebel barons by sending regular raiding parties out to burn and plunder areas under Richard's control. With his brother cajoling and flexing, young Henry feels like he can't back down without losing major face. But carry on as he is, and he could lose major head. So he tries to wriggle out of the mess he's made by sending a secret message to his father. He says he's decided to take his crusader vows and go off to Jerusalem to fight the enemies of Christ rather than his own family. Old Henry takes him at his word and starts doing the sums to work out how much it'll cost. But when young Henry tries to sell this plan to his brother Geoffrey and the rest of his allies, it goes down like a plate of cold sick. They're still up for the fight and see this plan as a cowardly surrender. Old Henry sends some envoys to seal the terms of this half-baked plan and the rebels kill them in cold blood. When Old Henry rides in person to find out what the hell is going on, he gets shot at with arrows again and again he has a lucky escape. This time his horse takes an arrow in the throat that was destined for Henry himself. Things are getting completely out of hand. In fact, they're getting out of hand everywhere. Crafty young King Philip of France has started sending mercenaries down into Aquitaine, just for the lols. Aquitaine is increasingly overrun with lawless plunderers smashing the whole place to bits. Young Henry and Geoffrey are running out of money, but old Henry and Richard are struggling to keep order while also maintaining the siege. It's a total and utter meltdown. And then, as tends to happen at crucial moments in our Plantagenet story, something apparently miraculous happens. God gets involved. Or at least, that's how everyone sees it at the time. By the late spring, the young king is so short of cash to pay mercenaries that he's started doing something extremely reckless. He's ordering that churches and monasteries under rebel control should be stripped of their gold and silver and any other valuables they're holding. The Abbey of St Martial is thoroughly robbed. The young king's men take precious crucifixes, jewelled caskets and golden chalices. The Abbey of Grandmont suffers the same fate. Young Henry tries to frame all this as emergency war loans and writes the monk an IOU for at least some small part of what he's taking, but this hardly makes up for the sacrilege of stealing from houses of God. Well, we all know how God reacts to his abbeys being plundered, don't we? Just as old Henry and Richard are despairing and starting to raise the siege of Limoges so they can deal with the wider disorder, Disaster strikes the rebels. On May the 26th, young Henry starts feeling a bit queasy. He gets a high temperature, then a terrible stomachache. 
he carries on supervising the plundering of monasteries, but soon he's got, to use the chronicler's phrase, a flux of the bowels. That's not like a bad curry and too many pints kind of flux of the bowels. It's dysentery. And in 12th century Europe, that's a common killer. By the start of June, the young king realises this is going to be fatal. And, consistent right to the end, he panics in an extravagant way. First he sends word to his father telling him he's sorry and asking him to have mercy on his allies for supporting his rebellion, again. Then he tries to bargain with God so that he doesn't end up in hell. On his sickbed, in a castle at a place called Martel, he symbolically takes off his fine pyjamas and puts on a hair shirt. Then he has a noose hung around his neck and orders his men to drag him out of his bed and put him on another one covered in ashes with a rock for a pillow. I mean, talk about being a drama king. You can tell he spent some time being raised by Thomas Beckett. But even then young Henry's still not done. To try and patch things up with the monks of the Abbey of Saint Martial, he orders that once he's dead, his eyes, bowels and brain should be buried in their church. Although why anyone would want his bowels after a fatal dose of dysentery, I'm not entirely sure. Finally, he calls his old tournament buddy William Marshall to his bedside and explains that he wants him to go on pilgrimage to Jerusalem on his behalf to put a word in for his soul at Christ's tomb in the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. And once all that is done, on June the 11th, 1183, the young king closes his eyes and dies. It's a strange end to a truly bizarre life and it takes the wind out of the sails of the rebellion in Aquitaine immediately. Not for the first time, Henry the Young King has taken a good hand and played it terribly. Not for the last time, his brother Richard has done the opposite. And yet again, old Henry has crushed a rebellion when it looked like everything was against him. This time, though, it's cost him a son. His eldest son, who for all his faults, somewhere deep down, old Henry loved. What's worse, losing a son hasn't solved any of the fundamental problems of empire management. If anything, they're only getting thornier. But next episode, we're leaving old Henry's headaches far behind as we head to Jerusalem. Because William Marshall makes good on the promise to his dying friend, young Henry. And in doing so, he makes himself a central character in the Plantagenet saga for years to come. So join me next time on This Is History. If you're craving more Plantagenet drama now, I've got you covered. Join me on This Is History Plus, where every week I reveal the weird details, fun facts and fascinating subplots we don't have time for in the main story. This time we're going to talk about Matilda's return to France and why she was exiled from Germany. And of course, we'll be saying farewell to dear young Henry and looking into the extremely convenient timing of his death. And on top of that, as a subscriber, you'll get all our episodes ad-free. Just visit This Is History 
on Apple Podcasts and click Try Free at the top of the page to start your free trial today. Or visit thisishistorypod.com to get access wherever you get your podcasts. Finally, if you're enjoying the show, please do give us a rating or a review. It's a great way to support us and help new people find the podcast.